Hello and welcome to this week's Investor Podcast. Uh, this is Gavin Ralston and this week I'm speaking to Merrick Stiles, Multi-Asset Portfolio Manager. As usual, we're timing our conversation with our multi-asset expert to follow hard on the heels of the GAC, the Global Asset Allocation Committee meeting which took place last week. So we'll be hearing today from Merrick what was discussed at that meeting, any changes to the balance between risk and defensive assets in multi-asset portfolios, and a perspective on the dollar and duration. A week ago, uh, Alex Tedder and I were talking against a background of pretty grim news on growth in the US and elsewhere. Since then, however, risk assets have rebounded on several developments that took the markets by surprise. First, there was better news on the trade dispute, and it appears that the Chinese have now made sufficient concessions to allow the US at least to postpone the tariff increases that were due to be implemented today, October 15th. Then there was an apparent breakthrough in the Brexit negotiations, leading to a sharp recovery in sterling. The Fed also announced measures to address the issues that have caused the repo market to uh, seize up in the month of September. So with this bit of better background, equity markets, as measured by the MSCI World Index, are now flat since the beginning of October. The bond market has also resumed a more normal shape, uh, meaning that 10-year yields in the US are back above three-month yields. So this last point about the the message being given by the shape of the yield curve and the unusual length of the uh, cycle uh, brings us back to a key question for Merrick, is where, where do you in multi-assets see the cycle being? What stage are we at in the cycle, given its very unusual length and shape? Sure. And, and that is one of the big questions we're really sort of grappling with at the moment. And it's actually sort of the core part of our process is identifying where we are in the cycle. And at the moment, because we are in such an atypical cycle, where we have, typically, you would say, at this part of the cycle, you should have much higher inflation, interest rates should be much higher, and uh, unemployment should start to be going up a little bit. Uh, and actually, we're not seeing any of those things at the moment. I've just been looking mm. at uh, US break-evens. They're almost on the floor at the moment. They're very, very low. Uh, for, so, so that's it, the market's it, estimate of 10-year of inflation averages. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, inflation expectations are very low. Uh, we, we're seeing actually record low unemployments. We saw recently in the US uh, a 50-year low for the unemployment rate. Uh, and actually, we're seeing interest rates now are coming down again. So all of those sort of three things that we'd normally see at this part of the cycle aren't happening at all. We've also seen a very, very long cycle. We're 10 years since the last recession, well, over, over 10 years. Uh, and now we're sort of in that environment where we think we're in slowdown. Some of our models are saying that. Some are saying we're right on the edge of actually still expansion because of these sort of uh, factors, especially the, the unemployment factors. Uh, but then we're having other models that are saying actually the, the chance of recession in the next 12 months is actually quite elevated as well. Hmm. So we're having sort of this difference between the models and the difference between some of the data. And depending where you're focusing, it's actually very difficult to say where we are in the cycle. Okay, so how, how do you resolve those conflicting signals? What, what was the discussion like in the GAC last week? Sure. Uh, and th this is, I guess, where the more sort of qualitative, our judgment comes in in our experience. Uh, and so what we're doing at the moment in the portfolios, and, and we've been doing it pretty much all year as well, is that we're avoiding these more cyclical assets. So I would say on the equity side, we're, we're avoiding those a little bit. We're either neutral or, or slightly short uh, in some of our portfolios. Um, we're tending to go for more the uh, sort of carry assets, so things like high yield, 
uh, and also um, some emerging market currencies where they actually give us the income every day. So even if uh, asset classes go sideways, we still make money out of these carry assets. And I think that is an environment where we're in we're seeing ample liquidity from central banks, uh, and this generally supports these sort of more carry-focused strategies to get the income. And you still like U.S. high yields, even though, as I said a moment ago, there are more signs of the U.S. slowing? Yeah, we, we still like it. Uh, we have just been taking a little bit of profit on it. Um, so just coming down a little bit the last sort of month or so. But I think that's more of a sort of profit-taking rather than any sort of real worries around the U.S. Obviously, we've started to see um, some of the data just turning over a little bit. Uh, we had the ISM last week, uh, which was, was not that great. Um, but I think we're in the environment now where we are starting to see the data come over a little bit, just just weakening a little bit, which actually we're now in the environment where bad news is actually good news because when we're now seeing uh, the data coming off, you then look at the Federal Reserve and say, these guys have been saying for a while now that they're data dependent. Now this data is starting to look a little bit weaker. You then focus on the Fed and say, actually now they're going to start cutting interest rates a little bit more aggressively. Uh, so far, they've been saying sort of one and done or, or two and done. This is the sort of insurance cut, sort of mid-cycle. Uh, but I think at the end of this month, it's going to be very key to see what they do, not just actually their interest rate cut, which I fully expect and the market fully expects, but I think it's going to be around their communication. Uh, their communication to sort of say, is this just another insurance cut or is this actually the beginning of more of a sort of cutting cycle? And I think the market is expecting to see more of a cutting cycle. So overall, your exposure to risk assets, as generally defined, in multi-asset portfolios is pretty similar to what it was at the start of the year, but you've shifted away from equities to, as you say, carry assets. Yeah, I think pretty much overall when we look at the risk of the portfolio, that headline number hasn't really changed all that much this year. I think the makeup of, of those assets has changed ever so slightly around the margins. We, we've added more to high yield and, and the carry strategies. Uh, again, back to this idea of saying we want to focus more on these liquidity assets. If central banks are cutting, uh, these assets should do very well. And, and they have done very well. So that's why we've taken maybe a little bit of profit on those. Um, we are starting to see some very small areas within equities that are starting to give us a little bit more interest. Um, and possibly things like house building in the US is looking slightly better. Now that interest rates have come down, mortgage rates are that much more affordable. We're starting to see that sector rebound. Mm -hmm. uh, it's already come back a little bit, but we still think there's a bit more potential there. Things like emerging markets, uh, emerging market equities now look uh, a little bit more, um, I guess, a little bit better in terms of the outlook for trade wars. But also, I think the outlook for the US dollar is starting to change a little bit as well. So that could be good for emerging markets. And last month, uh, staying on equity markets for a moment, we saw a very sharp recovery in value sectors, uh, short-lived but significant recovery. Do you have any style biases built into your equity exposure? Well, we always say that we don't try and factor time or, or style um, uh, our portfolios in any way. We, we are, are style agnostic, or we tend to be. Um, however, what we did see at the beginning of September was, yes, as you said, a, a very big rally and quite a sharp 
uh, rally in value stocks. Um, but it was only sort of contained within this fortnight. And at the same time, you actually saw yields going up as well. Uh, and then that came back. Uh, yields have come back down a little bit. Uh, and the value uh, rally sort of stopped almost straight away. So I think to see this idea of a value rally going forwards, you have to see interest rates going back up again. Uh, and we don't really see that at the moment. We still like holding um, fixed income, so government bonds, and we still think uh, yields can go a little bit lower from here, especially if the Fed uh, come out at the end of this month and, and start being a little bit more aggressive on interest rate cuts. And, and just to pick up one point you made a moment ago about emerging markets, the exposure is to emerging markets currencies rather than to longer duration bond assets or to emerging markets equities. Yes. Yeah, so, so far uh, this year, we've been holding mainly emerging market currencies. And, and which currencies in particular? Uh, it tends to be things like Mexico, Brazil, uh, Chilean peso. Um, the, I would say the higher yielding currencies. Um, we've thankfully avoided things like Argentina uh, and Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the real high yield is we've avoided. But I would say that sort of mid-level of the sl- slightly safer countries, but still offering a very ample yield. That's where we've been so far. But as I said, this recent GATT last week, uh, we've now put on a new trade, which is to go longer uh, emerging market equities. We haven't yet really started implementing that. I think um, since we came out of that meeting, emerging market equities have been on a little rally, as with all, all equity markets. So I think we just want to time that entry point a little bit better. Um, but I think over the next sort of month or so, you can maybe see us adding a little bit to our emerging market equities over the next month or so. And how does the view of the dollar play into all this? Because as you say, it looks like the Fed is more intent on cutting rates this month and potentially again before the end of the year. That would suggest a weaker dollar? Or am I being too simplistic? Possibly. And I think we've, we've seen over the last two weeks, the behavior of the dollar has, has flipped around a little bit. Um, What we've seen certainly this year is uh, we've had a a very strong dollar. So this idea of the dollar smile has has been in in real effect where you've had uh, good news uh, has been good news for the dollar and also bad news has been good for the dollar. And you haven't been in that sort of in-between area because I think the U.S. has looked so strong. Now we're starting to see the data in the U.S. just turn over slightly. And so we're going back towards that middle area of of the dollar smile where actually you can see some dollar weakness. Uh, And we have seen almost intraday that correlation between risk assets and the dollar has flip-flopped quite a lot. Uh, And this is really key to some of our portfolio construction as well. If we get this wrong and the dollar does sustainably flip its correlation that has huge impacts on the way we build portfolios but also impacts other asset classes as well can you just unpack unpack that point about correlations between the dollar and other asset classes a bit more yeah so for example as i said earlier we we like emerging market equities uh, but that is really key to that dollar weakness if we have a, a weaker dollar then emerging market equities tend to do very well Um, And so if that correlation is unstable, what we're seeing at the moment, intraday it's flipping around, that means trying to sort of pick that we think emerging market equities are good, intraday it keeps moving around. And so that makes it very, very difficult to actually go for these asset classes that are very dollar dollar sensitive. Mm. Uh, And so it's, it's really key at the moment to try and identify where we think we are in this dollar smile. Uh, and as I said, because it's been moving around a little bit, it, it's very, very tricky to then build portfolios from that. 
And one of the features of multi-asset portfolio construction is looking for hedges to protect portfolios against the central case being incorrect. Where are you finding hedges against the performance of risk assets that are attractively valued? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, I would say pretty much all of the hedges out there in the market are very expensive. Uh, And so it's a case of which expensive hedge do you own against maybe some of the other risk assets that are also pretty expensive. Uh, At the moment, um, we hold duration, so Mm -hmm. government fixed income, mainly in the US and a little bit in Canada. Uh, That's been expensive for quite some time, but it still feels as though it can stay and remain expensive. Uh, And I would say we've especially in the US, been pushing further out the curve. So going from the 10-year out to the 30-year. And we've seen quite a large change over the past year in that sensitivity or the ability for the longer end to actually hedge your portfolio. The ability for the 10-year now to actually (laughs) hedge your portfolio, it hasn't really changed all that much. But the carry on offer from the 10-year has come down quite a bit. When we look at the 30-year, the carry's also come down but it's, it's actually positive compared to the, the cash rates at the moment. But its ability to hedge your portfolio has actually increased quite a bit. So now it's actually a much better asset to hedge your portfolio on the longer end. We're also looking at things like gold. Uh, obviously, that has quite a negative carry. It, it gives you no income. But actually, and gold has performed pretty well since early summer. Yeah, uh, but it's also very correlated to, to real yields. Uh, and we're seeing real yields in the US now are pretty much at zero. Um, But we still think there's an ability for real yields to actually go negative now, especially if the Federal Reserve come out and be slightly more aggressive uh, and maybe even do things like QE. I think gold still has that ability to perform. Uh, And the recent correlations with risk assets as well has been that much more satisfying in terms of hedging your portfolio. I think when we looked at gold maybe sort of six months ago or 12 months ago, it was actually not a great hedge, whereas actually that correlation has switched around and is is a little bit more stable now. We're also looking at things like the Singapore dollar. Uh, We have a short position in Singapore dollar, uh, and that's very much um, a trade uh, wars related hedge. Uh, We're being quite specific uh, in Asia. If we have uh, the trade wars going ahead, uh, obviously tariffs and things like that, then Singapore really is that trade hub, and that would negatively impact Singapore, and so that's why we short the Singapore dollar. So we've been talking about assets that would protect portfolios against a move to the downside in risk assets, and in particular equities. Uh, But we saw at the end of last week quite a sharp rebound on better news, as I said, on, on trade and Brexit. And Keith's outlook has a number of upside risk scenarios. One that's beginning to be talked about a bit more is fiscal stimulus. Uh, Talk to us about whether you think that's likely and what impact that would have in portfolios. Yeah, and I think this is a key thing at the moment. And you've obviously seen Mario Draghi, who is obviously coming to the end of his term this month. He's basically said, look, the ECB have done as much as they can uh, in Europe, and it's now over to the governments uh, in terms of fiscal expansion. And I think everybody got quite excited that maybe Germany might do some fiscal expansion and they announced quite a lot of what I would call green measures. Um, But I think it's unlikely to have much of a multiplier effect within Germany. 
Germany is the one European country that has the ability to do actually quite a large fiscal stimulus. Uh, but I, I really don't think that that will come through at any time soon. I think the only time that Germany will actually go away from this idea of the black zero, or, or now it's actually the green zero in terms of their budget balance, is actually if you see people rioting on the streets. And by that time, it's far too late. So we've sort of uh, said that Germany can do it, but they won't do it. If I look around Europe as well, uh, you have France actually don't have much of an ability to do much more in terms of fiscal expansion. Uh, so they just physically can't do it. Uh, Italy shouldn't do it. Um, within um, the UK, obviously, we've got our own worries here. So actually, we've talked a lot about fiscal expansion so far, all the things like the NHS funding. There's been a lot of promises, and that's all, I guess, around sort of Brexit posturing and things like that. I think eventually you will have to do some sort of fiscal expansion. Uh, in Japan, uh, fiscal expansion is happening at the moment, but that's offsetting the VAT hike. So I think there it's not really having much of an impact. And within the US, well, they already did the fiscal expansion sort of 18 months ago uh, when they probably shouldn't have done it. Uh, and so actually their ability to do more when they really need it going forwards is that much more limited. So I think overall, the ability sort of globally for governments to do meaningful fiscal expansion is pretty limited. And only in Germany are they really able to do it. And I think they're the ones that are least likely to mm. do it. Another upside risk scenario would be an unexpectedly positive resolution to the trade dispute between the US and China. I mean, there have been a series of ups and downs over the last few months in that particular negotiation, but I guess that's not something you would regard as being particularly likely. It's certainly not Azad or Keith's view that there's going to be a clear, clean resolution. No, and I think when you look at the history of trade wars, um, even in very, very small trade wars, it typically takes around four years for them to sort that out. And obviously, when you're talking about US and China, that's that much more complex. We could actually be talking about the next 10 years or so. So I think in, in terms of the short term, uh, resolutions are very, very difficult. You may get some small positive surprises like we saw last week where something was announced and you had a bit of a rally on that. But when you actually look at the detail underlying these announcements, they're probably going to be quite thin. So I think going forwards, it's still going to be the ups and downs. But I think any meaningful resolution is quite unlikely. And I guess I have to ask you a question about Brexit. Uh, and probably the question is, g given the continuing political uncertainty, which is going right down to, to the wire, uh, how are you positioned in UK assets and sterling? Mm -hmm. So within our UK portfolios, uh, we have just recently in the last sort of week or so been buying back a little bit of sterling. We had been, I would say, pretty significantly underweight the sterling um, over the year, um, mainly as a Brexit hedge. Um, so I would say in some of our sort of larger, say, DGF portfolios, we'd been short maybe sort of 20, 22% sterling. And now we're more in the sort of 15 to 17% short sterling. So actually quite a, a reasonable move upwards. But overall, we are still short. So there is still this idea of having that Brexit hedge there. I think looking forwards, um, it feels as though we're getting somewhere in terms of the negotiations. Uh, and the typical way that you negotiate in Europe is you always take it right to the cliff edge. We've seen that time and time again. Uh, and sometimes you take it to the cliff edge and it's almost this idea of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory sometimes. You end up just making it even worse possibly. 
But at the moment, it feels as though we're starting to get somewhere. I'm still not hugely optimistic, but I think we're going in the right direction. And we may have more clarity in the next week or so with the uh, European uh, summit on the 17th and 18th and the UK Parliament unusually sitting on a Saturday to vote on whatever has been proposed, if anything has been proposed. We are pretty much out of time for this week. Let me just try and pick up a few of the key points that Merrick has made. One is in in terms of the overall balance of multi-asset portfolios, retaining a careful balance between risk assets and defensive assets, but within risk assets, continuing a preference for high carry assets over equities. Uh, In terms of defensive hedges, uh, the team are still finding value at the very long end of the U.S. yield curve. So bonds would still uh, be negatively correlated to equities in the event of a uh, significant increase in risk aversion. And also watching very carefully the impact of the dollar and other asset classes, but a bit more of a preference to own emerging markets currencies and potentially now emerging markets equities as well. So, Merrick, thank you very much indeed for your comments this week and thank you all very much for listening. Thank you.